Well, good morning. Welcome to the morning worship service here at Long Hill Baptist Church uh, in Trumbull, Connecticut. I say at the church, but of course, uh, I'm continuing in my quarantine at the Parsonage, uh, having been diagnosed with COVID uh, together with several church members. Would ask you to uh, continue to pray for me and my family and for all of our church family. Uh, I'm coming to the end of my quarantine, and I'm feeling really well. I praise God for that. Uh, God is good. Uh, he is good. So uh, we, we do praise him for that. Take your Bible this morning, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We continue our series this morning through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. Of course, we've seen uh, the lineage of Christ, the prophesied uh, royal lineage of Christ. Matthew, of course, presenting Christ as king, and uh, he is the king of kings. We praise God for that. We've seen the birth and the baptism of Christ, and importantly, at his baptism, uh, the Holy Spirit descending upon him, uh, and the Father authenticating his identity. This is my son, uh, with whom I'm well pleased. And so uh, that was a, a joy uh, to be able to see uh, the baptism of Christ. Of course, uh, we recognize his example of submitting to baptism. Uh, we understand today that believers, those who have repented of sin and placed their faith in Christ, are called uh, as their first act of obedience to be baptized uh, into the membership of a church. Then they have a place to serve. And of course, having been saved, they have the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit to empower us to serve, and we praise God for that. Now, uh, today, here in Matthew 4, uh, we see Christ being led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and we see him tempted there. We see that uh, just as he is about to embark upon his earthly ministry, uh, he enters onto a spiritual battlefield. Uh, and of course, we do too. Uh, we understand that. There's no question about that. The Bible makes clear in Ephesians 6, uh, that we're in a battle against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness uh, in high places. And of course, that would be uh, a reference to our enemy, uh, the devil. And um, we understand this morning that just as Christ prevailed in that victory, uh, we can know a victory in battle as well. And so we'll study this morning uh, Christ's example. He teaches us this morning by way of example how to respond to, well, how to prepare for, and then how to respond to spiritual battle. I praise God for that. Uh, so we'll examine his uh, preparation and his response as instruction for us this morning. I want to say just one thing before we jump in here. Uh, as I've prepared for this message and uh, attempted several times now to record and, and post this message, uh, we've encountered some spiritual battle. The, there's a very real enemy and I was talking to one uh, man in the church yesterday. Um, you begin to teach and preach about spiritual battle and knowing a victory in Christ in that battle. Uh, you're very much on the battlefield, and clearly the enemy does not like that. We've had great difficulty printing the message, uh, uploading the message. And uh, so this is uh, our third attempt. Prayerfully, <laughs> prayerfully it will uh, be accomplished this time. We are in a battle. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, read uh, the first 11 verses of Matthew 4. We'll stop and pray, and we'll jump right in today. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. So this is immediately after Christ's baptism. The Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. 
And when he had fasted 40 days, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. He was hungry. And when the tempter, Satan, came to him, he said, Satan said to Christ, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. Verse 4, But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, here Satan is quoting scripture, uh, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus answered unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Well, verse 8, again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, Satan to Jesus, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Verse 10 says, then Jesus said unto him, get thee hence, Satan, uh, get back, get away, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Verse 11 says this, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Well, praise God. Praise God. This morning, lessons from our Savior's battle with Satan. Lessons from our Savior's battle with Satan. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for this passage. Lord, we understand that we are indeed uh, in a battle against the rulers of the darkness of this world. You've revealed that to us in Ephesians, and you've shown us that uh, throughout the New Testament. Lord, I thank you this morning for uh, this passage and the example of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, we, we have the privilege to see his preparation for this battle and his response to the battle, how he fought it. Lord, I understand this morning that uh, amongst the many reasons uh, that we might see in this passage is uh, an example that is instruction for us. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that uh, we would happily receive this instruction, that we might be prepared uh, for the spiritual battles that we face and that we might respond uh, just as Christ did. Father, I thank you this morning that because of Christ, we can. Uh, because of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And when we yield to him, filling us. Lord, thank you so very much. Father, I um, thank you for the reminders this week that we are in a spiritual battle. But also, Lord, I thank you for the reminder that you've prepared us, you've equipped us, and I'm so very grateful. Lord, help me now. I need that. Uh, help each uh, hearer uh, to receive these words and to get a hold of the principles. Lord, importantly, help us to apply these things now. Father, I pray all of this today in Jesus' name, in my Savior's name. Amen. Well, let's just jump right back in here. I want you to see uh, very importantly, the, the first thing that we see here, uh, Christ prepared for his ministry and the battle that it involved. Uh, ministry, local church ministry, uh, will involve spiritual battle. It does. Christ prepared for his ministry and the spiritual battle that he knew was coming by yielding to the Spirit. He yielded to the Spirit of God. Look here in verse 1 again. The Bible says, we're in Matthew 4, verse 1, 
Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, um, we'll say again today, uh, Jesus did not necessarily need to uh, conduct his earthly ministry in the, uh, with the anointing power of the Spirit of God. Uh, Jesus is God the Son. Uh, but we also understand that he voluntarily chose to lay aside the free exercise of some of his divine attributes, some of his divine privileges, uh, choosing instead to minister uh, in the strength and power of the uh, anointing spirit of God. Uh, why did he do that? Well, I think it's quite clear that he did that in large part as an example to us. None of us is God. None of us has uh, divine power. Uh, we necessarily uh, must uh, minister in the power of the Spirit of God if we hope to accomplish that which the Lord desires. Uh, we know that power especially when we yield to the Spirit of God. We know a filling of the Spirit in our yielding to the Spirit. Uh, and so we see here at least strongly implied uh, that Jesus was very much yielded to the Spirit of God who had anointed him at his baptism. Well, how do I know that? Verse 4, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, he did not resist the leading of the Spirit. He did not refuse the leading of the Spirit. Uh, he evidently is led of the Spirit from where he was uh, to the wilderness. And I think this pretty clearly would be that uh, wilderness between Jerusalem and, uh, um, I'll get it in a, in a moment, uh, Jericho. Uh, there to the, the east of Jerusalem. Uh, in any event, he's, uh, he's yielded to, he's submitted to, and therefore walking according to the leading, the direction uh, of the Spirit of God. Uh, Mark says it this way in his gospel. In Mark 1.12, he says, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. So Mark emphasizes uh, a little bit more strongly, perhaps, that the Holy Spirit was leading, guiding, driving Christ from where he was to the place uh, where the uh, Father desired him to be. Uh, Jesus yielded to uh, the leading, the driving, if you will, of the Spirit of God. Uh, that's exactly what we need to do. Uh, first and foremost, say, Lord, here I am. Guide me, yield me, uh, help me to be yielded, direct me uh, into the ministry that you desire, in the place that you desire, in the time that you desire. Uh, Lord, here I am. Take me, use me, uh, help me to be yielded in the way uh, that you desire. Well, that's what we see uh, here. Christ is preparing for his ministry and the battle that it will involve by simply yielding to the driving, the guiding uh, of the Spirit of God. Well, secondly, this morning we see this. He, he prepared for his ministry and the battle that it would involve by fasting. So he's yielded the Spirit of God to get to the place where the Lord wants him to be. Uh, and then uh, he spiritually prepares himself, uh, we might say perhaps in, uh, on the human side of his nature, uh, he spiritually prepares himself uh, by fasting. See verse 2. When he had fasted, how long does it say? Uh, 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, I've never attempted that. Don't think necessarily that I will. Uh, but, but Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible says he was afterward and hungered. Uh, sometimes it's been said, well, if you fast long enough, hunger goes away. And I think that's, uh, that's true to some degree. 
but the Bible says here, Jesus was hungry. He had fasted for 40 days and, and 40 nights, uh, and he was hungry. Well, why, why is he doing this? Uh, why, why do we find him having been led into the wilderness just before he's going to face spiritual battle with uh, Satan, fallen angel, uh, created by Christ, don't forget that, uh, he's found fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Well, we understand that fasting is a scriptural, uh, spiritual practice that the Lord calls us to uh, in order to uh, provide a spiritual strength that we do not know apart from the exercise of fasting. Uh, someone said, well, well how, how does it work? Well, I'm not sure we could say exactly how it works. Uh, we know that there is a physical weakness that can uh, come in fasting, uh, and that um, encourages us to look to the Lord for a spiritual strength that we would not know apart from a greater reliance or dependence on Him. Uh, importantly, we understand the Bible associates fasting with prayer. Uh, and so um, fasting, uh, coming apart from uh, taking time uh, to eat, prepare food, and so forth, and to reinvest that time in prayer uh, may well be a, a large component of the spiritual benefit of fasting, where uh, taking time that would otherwise be used for one thing and reinvesting that uh, in the spiritual exercise of, of prayer, drawing close to the Lord and, and relying upon Him more completely, uh, relying upon food less completely and upon the Lord more completely. In that, we find a spiritual enablement, a spiritual strength. Now, you remember, I'm sure, uh, in Matthew 17, uh, there we see Jesus uh, interacting with his disciples who apparently had attempted to cast out a demon, uh, but were unable to do that. And Jesus explained to them, hey, that, that can only come with uh, a faith, uh, and a faith that's grown in part through prayer and fasting. Would you turn over there uh, just for one moment? Matthew 17, beginning in verse 14. I'd like you to see that. Uh, the, uh, Matthew 17, beginning in verse 14. Uh, here the Bible says, When they were come to the multitude, uh, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. This is a father regarding his son. He says, For he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire, and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, they could not cure him. This is the testimony of the father, uh, that, that young man's father. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. So uh, the Lord in that statement, pretty direct statement, um, implies that lack of faith was part of the reason why they could not accomplish uh, the casting out of that demon. Verse 18 says this, Jesus rebuked the devil, uh, the demon, he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. So uh, the Lord rebuked the demon, cast, casting the demon out of that child. The demon departed, recognizing the authority of Christ. Uh, Christ exercised his authority, uh, and uh, evidently a spiritual strength that he knew uh, in the leading of the Spirit and in the fasting that uh, he had performed earlier. Uh, verse 19 says this, Then the disciples um, then came the disciples to Jesus, verse 19 and apart, said, 
Uh, why could not we cast him out? Why couldn't we cast out that demon, Lord? Verse 20 says this, Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, the smallest tiny little seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and uh, you'll accomplish great things with just small amounts of faith. Uh, nothing shall be impossible unto you. And then in verse 21 he says this, and this is really what we've been uh, driving up to here. Verse 21 says this, How be it this kind, this kind of faith that accomplishes those things, goeth not out but by, can't be accomplished except by and through two things at the end of verse 21. What are they? Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. They're an encouragement to our faith. In that uh, encouragement of our faith, we find a spiritual strength that we would not otherwise know uh, to accomplish those things that the Lord desires. Uh, certainly, certainly, we see uh, both here in Matthew 17 and in our passage this morning, Matthew 4, uh, fasting, the Lord associates in Scripture, fasting with uh, victory in spiritual battle, a very real victory in a very real battle. And so we do well this morning to understand that uh, fasting is not just something for people in the first century. Uh, it's not just for something for people who are in other churches or other places uh, other parts of the world. Uh, no, it's for us. It's for uh, saved, baptized church members uh, today. The Lord has uh, taught this practice and shown us the critical necessity of it uh, in the very real spiritual battles that we all face. Uh, you can't say, oh, I don't have any... No, we, we, we are in a spiritual battle. If you've been saved, of course, uh, you're in a spiritual battle. And we will not know, we simply will not know the strength that we need to prevail in the battles that we do face uh, without some degree of fasting as, as one of our normal spiritual practices. Now, you may say, well, how do I do that? How do I know uh, when to do it, how often to do it, uh, uh, the duration of fasting? I'll say this, I encourage each one to pray about that. Uh, maybe you've never really fasted much at all. Uh, maybe you wanna just pray about that and. Uh, say, Lord, lead me, guide me. Uh, maybe you want to determine to fast um, in this new year. Happy New Year, by the way. Uh, maybe you want to uh, begin fasting a day a week or two days a week uh, and just uh, begin and, and continue to pray and allow the Lord to guide you in that. Uh, I've known a couple of men who said, hey, I've, I've taken a day a week and I've fasted from the evening meal one night to the evening meal the next night. Uh, that's a, a, a practical uh, way to begin. Uh, importantly, uh, if you're going to do that, you want to be sure to um, add in uh, the prayer component. Uh, don't just fast, uh, but take the time that would have otherwise been dedicated to meals and, again, reinvest that time in prayer. This is what we see in Scripture. Uh, prayer and fasting uh, together, two sides of the same coin, uh, very much designed to be used in, in concert, in, in conjunction. Uh, and so we can reasonably expect a, a power that we would not otherwise have in spiritual battle uh, if we will be faithful to adopt this practice that Christ teaches us here. Uh, of course, um, later on in uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, he taught them uh, to fast as well. 
Um, he taught um, great importance of fasting. You remember that he taught um, married couples to take care to maintain physical intimacy uh, except for short times when by mutual consent they would come apart from each other uh, for the purpose of giving themselves over to prayer and fasting uh, for a short time. Uh, and then Paul, of course, taught them to take care to um, come back together again, lest the uh, breaking of that marital uh, intimacy would become a source of temptation uh, for that couple. Um, well, temptation is um, the attack that Christ is about to face here. I realize it's in a different context, but it's temptation uh, by Satan uh, nonetheless. So let's back up here just for a moment, and then we'll go forward. Uh, Jesus is about to embark upon his earthly ministry. Uh, he understands, uh, he is omniscient after all, that that's going to involve a spiritual battle. And so he allows himself uh, to be prepared by yielding to the Spirit of God, uh, not just mentally, but allowing the Spirit to actually direct him, guide him, lead him, drive him from where he is to where uh, the Spirit desires him to be. Uh, and then secondly, we see him fasting uh, and uh, embarking upon a, a significant fast. Uh, and we'll see shortly that uh, the result of that is uh, a great power uh, in the battle that Satan will launch against him. Well, that takes us to uh, number three this morning. Christ uh, as he was about to begin his earthly ministry, Satan did attack him. Uh, and we'll, we'll see two attacks here. Satan attacks him. Uh, the big idea, of course, is with temptation. Uh, he tempts him three times, three ways uh, to sin. And along the way, he will uh, add in, um, try to sort of uh, give additional power to his temptation, uh, by calling into question his identity. He'll say, listen, if you're the Son of God, why don't you do this? Why, uh, if, you're the, if you're who uh, you say you are, uh, why don't you just give in to this temptation and, and do this? Prove it to me. Prove me. Uh, prove to me that uh, you are who you are uh, through some sinful thing. Well, Christ, of course, is not going to do that. Uh, he's going to be tempted uh, three ways, the same ways, same three ways in a general sense that Eve was tempted, uh, the same three ways, according to 1 John, that we are tempted. Uh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Not necessarily in that order. Uh, you remember, of course, that uh, Satan tempted Eve to eat the fruit that had been forbidden by the Lord. Everything else was uh, available to her and to Adam, but the Lord said uh, that they were not to eat of this particular tree, not to eat the fruit of that tree. Well, Satan came along and he said, listen... Um, if you'll eat of that fruit, there's, there's two promises. There's two promises that I can make to you. They were false promises. One, you won't die until and, and you'll become as God's. Deathlessness and deification, two Ds. The two main lies of the garden uh, that the cults are still telling today. The majority of the cults have different ways of retelling those two lies today. Uh, Satan is still very much in the business of uh, packaging and repackaging these lies and serving them up uh, through the cults that uh, are telling his lies. Mormonism, of course, would be one of those. Uh, they, they'll promise you that uh, in the afterlife, in the life beyond this life, uh, you become as a god, you get a planet, you'll rule over that uh, very much as a god. That's a lie that Satan originated all the way back in the garden. 
Uh, it served him well there, and he continues to tell that lie today. Well, we'll see that uh, having served up those two promises, uh, Satan appealed to uh, Eve and ultimately to Adam uh, through the eyes, uh, through the pride of those promises, the promises that appealed to their pride, uh, and to the flesh. The fruit was uh, looked, looked, it looked to be good to eat. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and promises associated with it that would appeal to uh, the pride of life. There's many parallels, of course, that we could draw between Satan's temptation of Christ uh, and his temptation of Eve. One man uh, notes three similarities that are just very interesting. He said, uh, the devil told Eve she would be as a god. We mentioned that. That's Genesis 3, 5. Uh, he told Christ he'll be, he would be ruler of the world. We'll see that this morning. Uh, both appeal to the pride of life, to prideful uh, tendencies. Uh, secondly, uh, we'll see the devil told Eve to eat fruit. He told Christ to eat bread. Uh, so uh, he understands that in, in our humanity, there is a, a, a natural lust of the flesh uh, that we might be, uh, might in fact be tempted by. Uh, there's third similarity. Uh, this man observes, he said, devil told Eve that she would not die if she ate fruit. We mentioned that in Genesis 3, 4. He told Christ that he would not die if he jumped off a building. Well, uh, Satan has a limited number of tricks. Uh, he is not omniscient regarding what will work and what doesn't work, but he's had time uh, to try different forms of temptation uh, and to see what is effective. Uh, of course, he uh, learned at the garden that tempting us according to lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, actually was effective. Uh, Adam and Eve gave in to temptation and sinned, uh, resulting in the fall of man, the curse that followed, the sin nature that we know today, uh, the curse upon all of creation today, uh, Satan learned all the way back in the garden uh, that this, these forms of temptation were effective uh, when it came to men. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> both, you understand. Um, so it's not surprising that when it came time for him to tempt Christ, that he would employ the same strategy. Uh, Christ did come as a man, but he was still God. So there is going to be a very real temptation on the humanity side, the human side of Christ's being. Uh, he will not give in to temptation, and we, we praise God for that. But um, So we understand uh, he was tempted like we are, but did not give in to temptation. He remained sinless. Uh, by the way, by the way, what would be Satan's primary motivation for tempting Christ? What would be his primary motivation? Well, I believe he understood that if Christ was to uh, perform the ministry that he came to accomplish, uh, the cross, the shedding of blood to cover our sins, his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, if he came uh, and did not go to the cross as that perfect sacrifice, sinless sacrifice, uh, his mission would be compromised. He would not accomplish our salvation at the cross. And so uh, that certainly would be uh, a great motivation. Uh, Christ desired that Adam, forgive me, Satan desired that Adam and Eve would sin, uh, rebel, join his rebellion against God the Father, and fall. Uh, now we see Christ coming according to the Father's plan for the redemption of men. Uh, Satan again desires uh, that Christ would join him 
uh, in his rebellion against the Lord, uh, fall into temptation and not be able to accomplish the cross. So Satan had big motivation. This is, this is his desire. Uh, and so he will come with the same strategy with which he attacked uh, Adam and Eve, uh, hoping, uh, hoping that it will be effective. Praise God, it wasn't effective. And let's see, let's, let's just quickly examine here the temptations, Satan's strategy or his tactics in executing this strategy, and very importantly, Christ's response. So Christ has been prepared, again, by yielding to the Spirit and fasting. Now the battle is beginning. Let's see how he responds to Satan's tactics. Number one, see this, the first temptation, uh, Satan attacked with a temptation that would appeal to the lust of the flesh. Uh, the lust of the flesh. You recall, we just read it, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. Uh, Satan, no doubt, observed that and assumed, no doubt, that Christ be hungry and that he might be tempted uh, to break the fast and to, uh, how? Well, Satan tempts him and says, listen, if, if you're the son of God, uh, questioning his identity, if you're the son of God, why don't you just turn these stones into bread, break your fast, uh, turn these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, surely uh, you could do that. So Satan tempts him in the flesh uh, at the time when he might reasonably assume this would be a real temptation uh, in the context of the fast uh, that Christ has been uh, completing. And then Satan uh, adds to this, adds into the mix, this questioning of his identity. Uh, why don't you just prove to me that you are, you are who you are by... Uh, breaking the fast, turning these stones into bread. Uh, Satan, of course, knew exactly who Christ was. He had no doubt about that, and of course, that's why he's attacking him uh, spiritually. He knows who we are, too. Uh, the children of God, sons of God, part, members of the family of God, saved people, yielded to the Lord, uh, serving the Lord. Uh, we're, we're good uh, targets as well. Uh, Satan tempted Christ based on this weak, perceived weakness. Uh, his physical hunger. Verse 3 says this, When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones uh, be made bread. Now, verse 4, very important. And you remember this, but let's, let's be reminded again this morning, Jesus' response to the temptation. How did he respond? Uh, does, he, does he get into a long debate with Satan? Does he get into a super long discourse? Does he argue with him? No, he doesn't. He simply answers with Scripture. He simply answers with Scripture. Verse 4, he answered. Jesus answered and said, it is written. Uh, this, this statement that we've talked so much about, uh, it always refers to Old Testament Scripture, and the underlying grammar teaches us the doctrine of preservation. The words of God that were written, that are written today, and that will remain written uh, say this. He's going to uh, allude to Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. You know what? We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Uh, so he, he simply responds with scripture. Now, uh, note this. Uh, it's not just any scripture. It's scripture that is relevant to the temptation. Um, you can say, well... You know, when Satan's tempting me, any scripture that I can bring to mind, uh, I'll, I'll throw at, at the enemy in that situation. It would be better than no scripture, but of course, the best thing would be to 
uh, be aware of the temptations that we face, perhaps things that you struggle with. Uh, ask the Lord to kind of show you those things, bring those things to mind, uh, shine a light upon those things in your heart, uh, and then ask the Lord to show you scriptures that will be especially relevant to your specific temptation. Uh, Satan tempted Christ, turned stones into bread. Break that fast, turn stones into bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It's very relevant. But by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Uh, the words that proceed out of the mouth of God, of course, are quick and powerful and have power, evidently, to help us not give in to temptation. Hebrews 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Uh, don't forget that. You know that's true. If you have faced temptation and have followed this uh, example of Christ by throwing or bringing to mind scripture that is very relevant to the temptation and have known a victory uh, over that temptation in that moment, you've experienced. In fact, the word of God is quick. It's alive and, in fact, very powerful. I praise God for that. Uh, this is what we need. This is what we need. Um, here's another verse that can be helpful. Uh, Galatians 5 and verse 16. Galatians 5 and verse 16 says this. Uh, Paul said to the church um, churches, uh, members of the churches throughout the region of Galatia, uh, Galatians 5, 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, I can learn that verse and have that at the ready anytime I face a temptation that is related to the lust of the flesh, something that appeals to me in my flesh. Uh, this then I say, uh, this I say then, walk in the Spirit. Jesus had been walking in the Spirit, walking, having yielded to the Spirit of God. Uh, he was anointed by the Spirit, and now he yields to, walks according to the leading of the Spirit, uh, mark the driving of the Spirit, uh, and having done that, he knew a power uh, to not fulfill or give in to the lust of the flesh. Listen, we can too. You, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. If you'll yield the Spirit of God, Lord, take me, use me, help me just to yield myself to you, obey you, you find strength in the Spirit of God, from the Spirit of God, to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, Galatians 5, 16 would be a good verse for all of us to learn. Hey, if I'll just yield the Spirit of God, I, I can have power not to give in the lust of the flesh. Whatever the specific temptation is that's kind of rooted in the lust of my flesh, I can know a power if I'll just yield the Spirit of God. Learn that verse when you're facing the temptation. Bring that verse to mind. Uh, meditate on that. And don't give in to the temptation. Um, you'll find strength from Christ as you, and the Spirit of God, as you yield the Spirit to know that victory. Praise God for that. Well, let's see the second temptation. Uh, the second temptation. So just exactly as Satan has tempted Eve uh, to sin by offering some benefit that would appeal to her pride, uh, he launches the same type of attack against Christ. So Second temptation prepare, uh, pertains, forgive me, uh, to the pride of life. Uh, back in Genesis 3, 5, Bible says, God, uh, Satan said, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So that would, that, um, to be a god uh, would be sort of the ultimate desire of our pride. Uh, understand this morning that there is uh, uh, an old nature still 
that is subject to temptation of the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And we find ourselves um, tempted, I'll say it that way, tempted uh, to yield to um, some exaltation of ourselves uh, at times. It's because this is part of the old nature that we still have, and it'll still be there until we're home with the Lord. And so we need to understand that. We're, we're tempted at times to um, even uh, serve the Lord with the wrong motive, uh, to be seen of others, uh, to be exalted of others, to try to impress other people, to uh, draw attention uh, or exaltation from others uh, upon ourselves and our, and our ministry, rather than uh, humbly just yielding and saying, Lord, take me, use me, uh, and I'll, my desire will be to glorify you uh, in my service. No, we're, we're tempted to desire the glory that belongs to God for ourselves. And Satan understood this. He understood this. Um, he understands that Christ has come as both God and man, and that in his humanity, Christ might be uh, tempted uh, to do something that would exalt himself uh, rather than the Father. And so he tempts Christ to pridefully demonstrate his divine power, uh, to demonstrate some divine power for the purpose of uh, drawing attention to himself in a prideful way, rather than in a way that would be holy uh, and godly. Uh, how does he do this? Well, verse 5 says this, Devil taketh him up uh, into the holy city, Jerusalem, uh, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. Uh, so if you can imagine the temple there in Jerusalem, uh, it of course had uh, points that were much higher uh, up off the ground. Uh, I can't remember exactly how, how high off the ground the highest point would be, but it would be uh, quite high. Um, and to the east of the temple, of course, would be uh, the, the Valley of Kidron and Kidron Valley. So it, it could be several hundred feet that um, Christ uh, was at, brought, brought to this place uh, with Satan. It could be several hundred feet from, the, from that high point above the temple down to the valley floor below the temple. Uh, devil taketh him up in the city, uh, setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, verse 6, If thou be the Son of God, uh, so again, trying to get him to give into temptation in order to prove his identity pridefully, uh, cast thyself down. Cast thyself down. Jump. Jump off of this high place. Jump several hundred feet down into the valley uh, below. And then Satan brings in Scripture but he corrupts it and he misapplies it. Don't miss that. Uh, Satan uh, had just experienced Christ's victory in this battle when he brought Scripture to the battlefield. And so Satan says, oh, let me do the same. Work well for Christ. Uh, he, he brings in Scripture to uh, reinforce the temptation, but he misquotes it, he corrupts it, and he misapplies it. That's what he does. That's what he does. And he desires to corrupt Scripture. Uh, I believe it had some degree of effect um, in that desire. We have many modern Bible translations today which reflect a corrupted underlying uh, Greek and Hebrew text. Uh, and so if 
people are using those versions. They don't have all the words of God. They can't live according to all the words of God. Back in uh, Matthew 4, 4, we just saw, uh, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, that's how we're supposed to live. You need a Bible version that has all of the words. And of course, our King James Bible is an accurate word-for-word -word translation of the inspired and preserved words of God, a, a, an accurate rendering, an accurate capturing of those words. We praise God for that. Satan's desire is to corrupt Scripture and to encourage us to misapply it. So here in the middle of verse 6, see that he says, For it is written, okay, uh, he alludes to Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He says, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time, those words are added, at any time, he adds them, thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. So uh, he's presenting that promise to obedient believers in Psalm 91. It's a picture of God's promise of protection as a blessing to obedient believers. Uh, Satan adds in, uh, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against stone. Uh, he's trying to uh, present that text as a promise that if Christ jumped, that the angels would necessarily bear him up. It's a uh, corruption of Scripture. It's a misapplication of Scripture. And so we need to stand guard against that. You, you encounter all sorts of corruption of Scripture. You encounter all sorts of misapplication of Scripture. It's one of Satan's tactics. Um, stand, stand guard uh, uh, against that. Look for that. Stand guard against that. Well, Christ responds, again, with Scripture, uh, but an accurate rendering of Scripture and a proper application of Scripture. In verse 7, he, Jesus said unto him, It is written, was written, is written, will be written. He alludes back to Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 6. Again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. No argument, no debate. He simply accurately gives forth Scripture, a Scripture that applies uh, to, the, to the situation fairly specifically, uh, and um, leaves it at that. Uh, and he enjoys a victory, uh, having prepared himself by yielding the Spirit of God, by fasting, and then bringing Scripture uh, to the battlefield. Uh, scripture is his weapon here, and he's using it uh, very skillfully. No argument, no debate, simply uh, alluding to, drawing upon, relying upon uh, the words of God. And of course, uh, the Holy Spirit who gave them. Um, so, let me ask you this. Do we, in fact, suffer uh, temptation in this area? Are we tempted to act pridefully? Uh, you know that we are, of course. Uh, we naturally desire to exalt ourselves. Some may struggle more than others in this area. Uh, it may take different forms, but uh, we naturally uh, wrestle to some degree or another with temptation to exalt ourselves, to, uh, to get glory for ourselves rather than giving glory uh, to the Lord. Well, what can we do when we become aware of that temptation? There's there's verses that will be particularly helpful. Jot down just several references, please. I'll give you two or three. Uh, Proverbs 11 and verse 2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Pride has consequences, but humility has benefits. Pride has spiritual benefits. Uh, excuse me. Pride has uh, spiritual consequences. 
uh, and humility has spiritual benefits. That's Proverbs 11 and verse 2. How about this one? Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Get that reference down, please. Uh, it's familiar. There the Bible says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before fall. So pride has uh, practical consequences, and humility has practical benefits. There's practical and spiritual benefits to humility. There's practical and spiritual consequences to giving in to pride. Uh, Proverbs 28 and verse 25. Proverbs 28 and verse 25 says this, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Uh, is, is, that a, is that a blessing, Pastor? Well, it's picturing a blessing. This is uh, poetic language. Look at the first part of the verse again, or hear the first part of the verse again. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. So uh, pride encourages uh, the consequence of strife among God's people. People who are competing uh, for glory for themselves will be people who are at battle amongst themselves. So there's a uh, practical consequence for pridefulness, prideful hearts, prideful attitudes. And certainly you, you've probably seen that in churches. I don't think that we see that in our church today, but we, we certainly should be aware of this tendency, this temptation. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. So uh, rather than uh, living for pride, uh, glory for self, and in, in choosing instead to live for the Lord and putting our trust in him to do that, there's blessings for that. The uh, Bible says shall be made fat. Well, uh, fatness is a picture of uh, God's uh, generous provision. It's a, it's a poetic picture uh, of God's uh, ample provision. Uh, and so if you understand it that way, you understand that there, there are, in fact, practical and spiritual blessings for humility uh, that the Lord promises to us. Praise God for that. Uh, learn one or two of these verses. Uh, learn one or two of these verses that you can bring to mind, that you can meditate on, that you can bring to the spiritual battlefield uh, when you're tempted uh, to pridefulness. Let's quickly look at the third area where Satan attacked our Savior. The third temptation pertained to the lust of the eyes. Uh, the lust of the eyes. So again, remember, back in the garden, uh, Satan said, uh, the Bible says, uh, Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw, saw, saw that the tree was good for food uh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, the eyes, the eyes, uh, and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Also gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So uh, it appealed to the flesh uh, in a physical way. It appealed to the eyes, lust of the eyes, uh, and it appealed to the pride of life. Um, we understand, and I just want to say this plainly this morning, uh, that we, we need to protect our eyes from places they should not go, from things that they should not see. Um, we need to protect our eyes from pornography. We need to protect our, our eyes from uh, things that appeal to all sorts of lustly, uh, lustful desires. Praise God, if pornography is something that you have fallen into, there is strength in Christ and Spirit of God to gain a victory uh, over that uh, addiction. And it is an addiction. Uh, but it's an addiction that you can be liberated from by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a truth. Uh, that's an absolute truth, and I praise God for that. Uh, we see here this morning uh, a reminder that 
uh, a great deal of temptation enters in through the eyes uh, and appeals to the lust of the eyes, desire in our flesh to see things uh, that, that are uh, attractive to the flesh. Uh, pornography, just a, a convenient example, but understand that it really could be any number of things that we might covet. Uh, for example, you might see a car and begin to covet that car. You might see a home and begin to covet that home. Uh, you might see some piece of technology, the newest Apple thing, uh, and begin to covet that. Uh, you may see certain clothes and begin to covet that. Well, jewelry, whatever, whatever it is, uh, seeing something can encourage a sinful coveting, an inordinate desire for that thing. Uh, we've talked a lot uh, over the last year about coveting and uh, the scriptural prescription uh, for uh, coveting. It boils down to one basic idea. Understand that the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you uh, and choose to be satisfied with God, with Christ uh, and his provision for us. That's all we need, the Lord and his provision for us. Uh, a desire for more than that uh, rests in the flesh, not in the Lord. Uh, and um, we understand we must stand guard against this uh, if we're to have a spiritually healthy life. And we can. Uh, we can. We, we have the Lord. Uh, we have the Spirit of God. Uh, we have the principle of fasting. We have Christ's example of bringing Scripture uh, to the battlefield uh, when things fall in front of our eyes that would encourage a giving in to temptation to covet uh, or to gain something that, that would be quite sinful. Um, so see here, uh, verse 8. Again, the devil taking him up to, to an exceeding high mountain. So uh, picture Christ uh, and the devil at some unnamed high mountain. The Bible says the devil showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. This kingdom, that you remember the various kingdoms that... Uh, would have been uh, placed around uh, the land there. Very interesting, by the way, that the Lord has chosen to work in and through the nation of Israel where he placed it geographically, uh, really right at the center of the world at that time. You, you would have uh, Asia uh, to the east of Israel. You would have uh, Europe to the west. You would have uh, Egypt and, and all of Africa to the south. And really right there in the heart of the known world was, was the nation of Israel. Uh, it's not a mistake that God chose to uh, use that land in this place and, and the people uh, that, that he took there. Uh, and so uh, Satan uh, brings the Lord up to one of the many mountains in that area and shows him all the great kingdoms of, of the world uh, and the glory of them, and says what? In verse 9, all these things will I give thee. Satan says that to Christ. If what? If thou will fall down and worship me. So he, he believes, Satan believes, that he could tempt Christ by showing him things, showing him the kingdoms of the world and their glory, uh, tempting him to worship Satan. Uh, if, he would, if he would worship Satan, he would get all these things that he could see, that he could see. Well, Jesus responds just exactly as, as he has uh, in the prior, prior two temptations. Verse 10 says this, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. It was written, it is written, it's still written. Deuteronomy 6.13 Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, 
and him only shalt thou serve. I'm not going to worship anyone else. <laughs> I'm not going to worship you. And you showing me these things, which technically belong to me anyway, Christ must have been thinking, uh, it's not going to be a temptation for me to worship you. Uh, that's prohibited by Scripture, and I'm not going to do it. And so he quotes the Scripture, no debate, no discourse, just a simple shot across the, the bow. Uh, scripture, Scripture, one verse, that's it. And the victory is had over that temptation. Uh, I love the next verse. Uh, Satan, having been resisted, flees away. Resist the devil, he will flee. That's, that's scriptural principle. And that's what we see in verse 11. Then the devil leaveth him. And behold, angels came and ministered unto him, unto Christ. Well, I praise God for this passage. Uh, let me uh, let me just reiterate this morning, we are in a spiritual battle, and it's a battle uh, for which we need to be prepared for and equipped for so that we can have victory in the form of not giving in to the temptations that our lusts desire so badly and that Satan desires to encourage by appealing to those lusts. You understand, he has no power apart from our own lusts. But he is evidently able to serve up temptations that appeal to our natural lusts. How can we be prepared for the battle that we're in? Be yielded the Spirit of God. Lord, help me. Pray, Lord, help me to be yielded to you. I need your grace to be yielded to you. Uh, practice fasting. If that's not then your practice, consider that. It's a new year. Don't just make it a New Year's resolution. Make it a prayer. Lord, help me to discern uh, some sort of schedule for fasting uh, in this new year. And I'll look to you for grace uh, to carry that out throughout the new year. Lord, I'll do that in your strength and for your strength, for your glory, not my own. And then be aware of these three buckets of temptation, lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, and have verses. Listen, I want to encourage you. I've given you a number of verses in each of those areas and for each of those buckets of, of temptation uh, and lust. Uh, learn at least one verse uh, this month. Make it, make it a goal this month. Ask the Lord to help you. Lord, help me to learn one verse in each of those areas so that I can do as Christ did, so that I can follow his example uh, and know the power of your words in the face of temptation. Of course, the power of those words is the power of God working in and through his words. Uh, and that, of course, is the power of spirit uh, through working in and through the words that, that he gave uh, and has supernaturally preserved. I praise God this morning that while he's allowed battles um, for our benefit, in the end, they grow us. Uh, he's enabled us to be prepared uh, and to know victory through his word, power of his word, which is his power. We don't worship the words of God. We worship the God of his words. Uh, we can know a victory, not for our honor. Look at me. Look how victorious I am. No, but we can know victory for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to the Lord who enables us to know that victory. Uh, we'll benefit practically 
by not suffering all the consequences that come with giving in to temptation, but there'll be a great spiritual benefit as well. The Lord will be honored and glorified uh, as we allow him to give victory in our lives. And that's a wonderful privilege that we know to bring honor and glory to the Lord by practicing those things that he's given us to know victories in the battle that he allows for his good purposes. Let's stop there and pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, this morning for who you are. Lord, for what you're like. Father, I thank you this morning that um, you allow us to experience various trials, even temptations, uh, for good purposes, uh, certainly for growing us, but ultimately for your glory. Lord, I thank you this morning for the Holy Spirit, who you gave just exactly according to your promises. Lord, I thank you this morning that we can know a great power filling of the Spirit when we yield the Spirit. Help us, Lord, to do that. Father, I thank you this morning for this practice of fasting. Uh, Lord, I don't think we completely understand fasting, but I thank you that you've given it to us and you've taught us to couple it with prayer. And Lord, there's a there's a preparation and a power in that for the battles that we face, and I thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the power of your words and for the example of our Savior who simply responded to temptation that uh, in the moment with your words, which are quick and powerful. Lord, I thank you this morning. Lord, I pray this morning that we would not just hear these things, but we would uh, take them now and apply them, that we would uh, ask you to help us get yielded, that you would ha help us, that we would ask you to help us uh, establish um, uh, fasting as a regular spiritual practice in our lives. And Lord, that you would help us to get several verses memorized that we can employ uh, in those times of particular temptations. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace and strength that we know in you. Thank you for the privilege to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to have your words be equipped by them and through them. And Lord, of course, we understand that's you working in them and through them. Father, I love you. I thank you, Lord. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is our um, intention that we'll uh, have another message recorded for six o'clock tonight. That'll be uh, online tonight at 6 p.m. And then um, this coming Wednesday, uh, we'll remain closed. Uh, I believe that's the intention right now, at least. Uh, my t my uh, quarantine is, is winding down at this point. I'm really at the end of it, so I, I praise God for that. We may, um, we may live stream from the church on Wednesday night, but uh, we'll plan tentatively uh, to be reopened, uh, not, um, not today, of course, but a week from today. So that's our tentative plan. would ask you to continue to pray uh, for the safety of our whole church family. Uh, praise God for that and, and pray for it. Uh, and pray that as we look to reopen here in a week or so, that we can do that safely uh, and wisely. All right, thank you. God bless. Have a blessed day.